you know the point is we live through and through and i think also corporates need to understand they're not giving us anything for god's sake yeah. i think that is a very important yeah. point to remember and yeah. corporates have to keep remembering that and they're not doing me a favor they're when doing they're doing this so that life war you know and we can't establish that uh, fully but at least establish the fact that we existed and we were very much part of a world and that sexuality is nothing new and it is not a western import it's not like coca cola or uh, a burger yeah and we already have camper cola yeah Welcome to another episode of Don't Run Into Glass, a podcast hosted by the Citizen.in. I'm Kirti. And I'm Anika. And Anika, what are we chatting about today? Today we are talking about the right to love. Okay. Um, we're talking about people who have just been allowed to not only just be themselves, but love whoever and however. So thanks Noor and Sharif for joining us today and we always take the easy way out and we get our guests to introduce themselves. So Noor, let's start with you. <laughs> well, my name is Noor Inayat. I am a publicist. Um, I work, I've been working in PR for about 18 years. I think next month will be 18 years and I'm a queer person who volunteers with the Delhi Queer Pride. I've been volunteering with them now for about 10 years. So yeah, that's all about me. Sharif. Wow. That can't be it, by no, the way. No, no, we'll yeah, get there, there is more to it, for sure. <laughs> we'll we'll get into you more. You discover it as we go along. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I okay. I have a slightly longer introduction. <laughs> yeah, I've been in the same industry as you've been for over ten years, not eighteen. I was. A, I'm a former journalist. I've, I'm an author now. I have two books out. Uh, and then I am uh, the festival director of the Rainbow Lit Fest. And I also just very recently, it's about a month uh, or so, that founded the Rainbow Awards for Literature and Journalism. Oh, and I'm a singer-song writer, part-time. Um, and so I occasionally get on stage and sing, write songs, compose with some fabulous artists. Yeah. And not all are queer, there's some lovely people. And what is the Rainbow Lit Fest about? We know about the uh, Queer Pride Parade, but what is the Rainbow Lit Fest about? And how did you come about to start doing that? Well, the Rainbow Lit Fest actually took birth um, when we were searching for festivals that were queer-centric. Right. Um, even globally, we couldn't find very many. This was in 2019 uh, when my first book was out, Straight to Normal, My Life as a Gay Man. And uh, I was also sliding into depression at that time. And my editor was Mr. Jem Debakar, uh, who's a former journalist. And, uh, and he, he says, why don't you turn all these sort of events? I was doing these small scale, you know, four hours, three hours events and stuff about music and talk. And then he just said, why don't you just turn it into a lit fest? So I said, you're crazy, that's a lot of work. And so he says, no, but you can try, you can do it. And from one day, the idea was about one day festival. It became a two day festival. And Essentially, it was about facilitating conversations, sort of uh, uh, using different forms of expression. You know, so there's music, there's dance, uh, there's mushairas, there's in poetry and stuff like that. Uh, co panel discussions, talks, films. So all of that comes together into the festival. So it is queer and inclusive. 
as opposed to diversity and inclusion. Right. Yeah. So right. it's queer folks who are including the heterosexual world. Interesting. Yeah. See, this is why you need good editors. You know, somebody who's going to take like an idea that you have and help you sort of just push you in the right direction to make it something bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a <laughs> damn good editor. Yeah, they don't exist. <laughs> there are not too many. Yeah, left. yeah. Um, I wanted to ask both of you actually, and I think Sharif, I saw one of your Instagram videos where you said that you know this is again you know pink washing, and now right oh. now is the trendy yep. topic, you know, talking yeah. about queer rights and queer mm. identity. Mm. And I mean, we're guilty of that a little bit as well because we're sort of sitting here in June and we're having this conversation. But I think there was something very important that you said in one of your videos where you said that you know just sort of like being lip service to it once in a while isn't important, isn't good enough. Yeah. Um, it is has to be a sustained effort over a period of time. Yeah. So I just want you to reflect on that a little bit more. No, like, is it annoying, no. Noor? Even is it annoying that every June somebody's no, no, like, actually, let's talk I don't about find this? It's that annoying, and I'll okay. tell you what. Um, I work with brands that do it, do the big show at Pride Month. Yeah. There is a lot they're doing all across the year. When I was coming out, nobody even knew what Pride Month was. Yeah. Fifteen years ago, nobody spoke about it. I say, you know what? It has to be one step at a time. So what if it's one month people are coming out and talking about it? When a corporate comes out and talks about it, they bring queerness to mainstream. Exactly, yeah. They expose a far larger audience who never have a chance to have that conversation to have that conversation, see queer people, hear about them. So that inclusivity, while it may be pinkwashing, and I completely agree, not maybe, very often it is pinkwashing. I say do it. Yeah. Look at the positive versus the negative, you weigh the benefits. At the end of the day, when we were all fighting the battle for 377 to go, right? Mm. If we had had, one of the things they kept on saying, minuscule minority. Second was that, what about workplaces? Enough workplaces did come out at that time. The minute 377 was repealed for consensual homosexual sex, saying we support people. Now, imagine if that had been said 10 years before that. And they could have, because we weren't illegal. So that, no, but we weren't illegal as so people. That's another right, big thing, yeah. right? When people yeah, yeah, keep yeah. saying you're le it's legal to be gay. It was never illegal to be gay. Yeah. You were just not allowed to have sex. Yeah. yeah. Correct. And also, no third person could come and file a complaint against you. Yeah. I mean, was, unless you're inviting them to the bedroom. Yeah. And yeah. again, I mean, it was used that's more a as a tool step. of yeah. harassment. Yeah. yeah. Harassment more than anything else. The fact is, now at least, and it's after that judgment, that now at least corporates are regularly talking about queerness at the workplace. But is it no, lip no. service, Noor? Like, I mean, no, not necessarily. No? not necessarily. For a lot of brands, it's lip service, but there's some that do yeah. genuine work. Mm. I, I agree. And, 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 I, and I, I, I would, I said if, if from moving from lip service is really kissing me on my lips. Oh. <laughs> and that's when you embrace, yeah. you know, and just play with the tongue and do a little bit more. You know, otherwise what's happening is it's becoming like a one-night stand, which is totally fine if you want to do a one-night stand. But, but you know live. what they say, if no. you have too many one-night stands yeah. with the same person, you might just be in a relationship. Yeah. And, I, and that's what I feel no. like. Younger I don't mind the lip services, just, just keep doing it, it, you will start believing it. I yeah. the younger ones call it situation. I was just yeah. going to say but it's I, but, 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 but you know, I, I, I have a, I, I have a, there are genuine corporations who are doing a ton of work. And some of them are actually now silent even in Pride Month. Because they're doing so many things through, through the year. Through the year, to me, the problem arises is when 
corporates start appropriating pride. Mm. Okay, it's and that's what happens on a regular basis because they haven't really engaged with our life. You see, I'm not saying you have to be a freedom fighter and then, you know, sort of understand August 15th and Independence Day. But you don't want independence to go away before and after August 15th. Yeah. Right? And if that is the standard corporates, then I can understand why. And not just corporates. Let's also bring in celebrities and the rest of it. Let's bring in political parties who have gone and sort of tweeted on pride. Have they? Have some political parties? Some of them yeah. have. And then let's look at some of the corp uh, also political parties who take dual stands at the same time on same-sex marriage. In Rajasthan, they oppose it. And in Karnataka, as part of a manifesto. So that's the Congress. Okay, and you have other political parties who take these sort of measures. You know, the point is we live through and through. And I think also corporates need to understand they're not giving us anything, for God's sake. Yeah, I think that is a very important yeah. point to remember. And yeah. corporates have to keep remembering that. And they're not doing me a favor when they're doing this. And you have to also, I'll just say, is you, when you have these sort of statements or, you know, I've, I've been part of closed groups uh, while working with Open for Business. I, on my right, there was a very well-known uh, uh, Southeast Asia CEO for a large financial firm. And uh, that person says, you know, we put up the pride flag. And I was like, wow. That's it. You know, the, the tricolor. Yeah. I'll say, you don't pay your taxes, you don't do anything, you violate women, you abuse children, and what do you say, you're a nationalist. You know, come on. No, and I agree with you on that, and I think that's something that has shifted. No, in some cases. In actually, in a lot of cases, Sharad. I think, no, 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 but you know, I'm, you know, you know, the large corporations reaching out to me, as of just two or three days ago, okay, a global American company who tells me that he's going to give me, they're going to give me a huge audience, okay? And, and they're talking about it in Pride Month. They have hardly any policies in place. So that's what I was saying. Okay? And this is not, not there are many. There are many like this. So I'm, I'm, don't want to generalize. There are companies who are working on ground and doing things throughout the year. You know, they're coming out with policies, um, you know, certain insurance companies, coming out with policies even prior to this, they're not waiting for Pride Month to do it, they're doing so it. So, one yeah. of them, I remember when we were doing Pride earlier this year, Delhi Pride normally happens on the last Sunday of November, but because of Delhi elections, yeah. we had yeah. to delay it and move it to um, the first week of January. One of the uh, big bank um, insurance agencies kept on getting in touch saying, we are launching this, we'd like to walk hmm. the Pride, and we were like, no. Okay. Because Delhi Pride has a no corporate policy. Yeah. We don't take money, we don't allow corporate participation, it's by the community, for the community. Mm. Um, but the fact is, they, okay, there is a case going on. The banks could have made a lot of this much easier for queer people. They have chosen not to, but now it's about making it cooler. Yeah. And you're matching up to the world. One is that. And you're talking about the provisions of the bank towards nominations and yeah. Yeah. all Nomination. of that, like the administrative process that includes that, the right? Same-sex okay. partners. Yeah. Um, but what I'm trying, the reason I brought this up was, while that is happening, there are corporates that have had policies yeah. from much before. They may not have spoken about it. They tell you when you're being inducted. Hmm. Um, I worked with a multinational a few years ago where when I joined, and this was before the uh, 377 repealing happened, um, striking down of it. 
and I'm very openly queer and they very nicely I had HR tell me that listen and I was seeing someone at that time um, and they were no, like no. I, I said I am not I'm, I'm done with people <laughs> And they very they sat me down and said, while legally we cannot cover your partner, globally we do. So it is fine if you have your partner as your emergency number. Hmm. We will respect it. Earlier they would keep saying nomination or your emergency number had to be family, family yeah. or spouse. And then I see my new workplace, because now the laws are changing, is able to offer, in some cases, the group health insurance policy to cover if I was dating somebody. Oh, good. So the point is, and this was done again, not in Pride Month. This is a conversation that's been yeah, happening. True. And this is not, in Pride Month, that's not the conversation happening. Instead, what they're doing is they're doing a queer mm. allowing queer businesses, smaller businesses, to come and set up stalls on. There are conversations around queerness, but there are conversations around queerness through the year. So, how much of lip service versus mobilization do I you see? I think 80% is lip service. And how much is mobile? Because I do hear, I feel like these are wonderful stories of how uh, I also see people who are part of this movement who are actively fighting for their own rights as champions to a larger human revolution, social revolution that is happening around. It's been happening for a long time. Um, and now as you see the changes come through in your working life, it feels like that lip service seems to be paying off a little bit. Yes, and that's what I was saying, that it's yeah. not all that bad. Okay. No, I, 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 I disagree. I disagree. Please educate I, me. I disagree. I, yeah. I disagree. Yeah. Yeah. You see, let's understand how corporates function. And let's understand that what's the market looks like today. The, the demographics. demographics. Right. The shift is not only coming because of act. See, you have to acknowledge the activists working on ground for the longest time. We need to understand pride and our lives from the context of the uprising, the lives lost, the lives were compelled and pushed into marriages. Yeah. Also understand, for instance, technically as per the law, I can't even give my mother blood. Okay, yeah. we don't discuss this, right? Because you just want to come to the party and celebrate it and yeah. hoist the flag and have a party and do all of that. Uh, we also don't understand when it comes to inclusion and I, and, and I have to say that lots of corporates are negative about it and don't want to address the issue of meritocracy. That it doesn't work in an unequal world. Okay, and that's I think the challenge of capitalism today across the world. But that challenge is also coming because of the youngsters. Let's not dumb down self-love and all. It's coming from that sort of population out there who's pushing the marketplace and changing it. And uh, they're redefining how you consume, what are identities, and they also are averse to being labelled. They want to label themselves whichever way they wish to. So corporates are compelled to bring that change because that's where also the talent is. That's where also the consumer base is. So let's understand that it is not all happening alone because corporates love us. Yeah. Let's understand that because it is about numbers, which is why quite often you have to create a business case for inclusion. That is why some companies, fortunately, and some research firms have had to do the economics to show that when you include then you have a business case and you will get better numbers 
and that is very well established even by Open for Business, uh, several other corporations and organizations across the world. But what we don't address is inclusion in all of this because you still want people with more or less the same skill sets and education and language yeah. and caste. They're all interlinked. So you cannot include in Pride Month or else or any time until you address the entry points. And I have to say that while as uh, Noor is saying 80%, 80% uh, of the companies aren't really addressing it, but I would say about 5 or 10% that I've been interacting are actually starting to relook as how they change those entry points. It's a huge challenge for corporates to do this because they failed basically with women too. Yeah, exactly. Right? And we don't address even that because when you address that, you can address queerness too. Yeah. Because then you hit straight at the center of the problem of gender, gender roles, gender stereotypes. Yeah. And who consumes what, who wears what, and so many other things around it of how you choose love and whether you choose to be single. We're still challenging, we still have those issues. World Economic Forum last year, I'm not a big fan of WEF anyway, but said that it'll take 132 years for gender parity. Yeah. And that's the problem when you constantly look at equality because you retain the position of the man generally and you compare the woman with the man. Why can't the woman just choose what she wants to be? Yeah. In fact, we were right. talking about this uh, earlier in a huh. slightly different form where we were talking about, um, you know, even in the queer community, there are still like uh, sort of more normative gender roles. Uh, and Noor, maybe you want to explain that some further? Some people, absolutely right. Yeah. No, no, I bolo. So we, we are, what we were talking about, I was talking about how, so okay, I think it's very important to say, and this is something that we have to keep on reiterating, the queer movement is one of the biggest intersectional movements in the world. True. Right? Because a queer person's identity is not just their gender or their sexuality, it is their religion, it's their caste, it's their class. All of it makes you who you are. You can't look at it in isolation. What it does is, and I was telling uh, Gethi and Anika about it, was the male bodily privilege mm. cis-identifying gay men have True. in public spaces and they don't realize also, so when you point it out very often, they're like, but I'm gay. And you're, yeah. like, you're like, no, it doesn't matter. So ideas of consent. No, consent you of would, sorry, can, no, can I just interject? You know it. You've been involved with, the D, with DQP for the longest time. And I think you'll know the history, right? It started with women. Now, I think we should explain as to why the women are not there in the same way. Well, because, because you're addressing because that. Because what is the DQP? Delicure Pride. Delicure Pride. Okay. Sorry. I mean, there's a large number of gay men. They took over. Yeah. Which they yeah. do take over public spaces. I mean, okay. Cisgender men. Cisgender gay men. Yeah. Because the picture is. I am the problem. Yeah. Noor is absolutely right. It comes from a place where you don't even know you're doing it. Yeah. Because it's. I do not you, no. the cisgender patriarchal gay men, huh. very often don't even know that what they're doing is a problem because in their mind, by the virtue of being queer, they're breaking gender and patriarchal norms. They are, there's no understanding of the male privilege that they have, even bodily privilege. Women, and by women I am taking anybody who identifies as female, the minute you identify as female, you're already two steps behind. 
Yeah. We're already the weaker sex. I mean, mm. I can probably trash up any guy on the road, but the fact is the guy will still come at me mm. because he'll think I'm a woman. Yeah. And therefore, I'm weaker. In a public space, so after Pride every year, we do, it's just, it's been a tradition. Pride ends, everybody goes to Alka. Alka is this age-old Alka hotel in CP. Yes, I know that. Anika, you know all the CP haunts first and foremost. It's got a really nice dive bar. And everybody goes to the dive bar. That is one night where Alka also forgets all about its straightness and Alka welcomes. Look at the people there. It is largely trans people. Cis women. Or as... I'm sorry if anybody gets offended. I'm, I cannot be politically correct because I don't know the terms. Men who are more feminine. Why? Because if they go to the uh, post-pride party done by some place, whether it's the Lalit or anywhere else, there are more chances of them being misbehaved. Because people don't know. I've had cis gay men come and just kiss me on my lips. I don't know them to say hello mm. and I'm like, excuse me, but I'm gay and like, still it's called consent. Yeah. If I kiss a male friend irrespective of his uh, sexual identity, it is my choice. I choose. I don't know you. This is not a comfortable uh, like, I don't give a sneak touching and talking and yeah. you're like, please stop touching me. And they're like, but I'm not doing it sexually. They don't understand that idea that sexual is not always the only thing that makes someone uncomfortable, but that also comes from the fact that it's like an invasion yeah. of private spaces. I think that is a universal thing that I think fe I feel like it should be a public service announcement. Everyone needs to understand private spaces need consent. Like you cannot. You need consent in every. I remember yeah. when we were studying in London. I remember I went in the metro. I have a problem with like body touch. Like I don't like I don't to be don't. in too much close proximity with my close friends. I will give them a nice warm hug and a kiss on the cheek. But in the metro or the London Tube or whatever, and the London Tube is very low. Yeah. So I would be deformed hanging in there because I do not want to, because I'm also worried. Does the other person uh, like if I'm like slightly leaning on to them? Right? And um, I think that needs to be a universal thing. And so it's, I do see your point. Yeah. It's because it's not that these, any of these, cis men I'm talking about, majority of them don't even understand what they do. They do not mean to. Um, but when you try to explain to them, they're unable to understand because the patriarchy and their bodily privilege in that space no, is so ingrained into them. But, but you know, uh, Noor, I, I completely agree with that point. But I know enough and more people who are aware. I want to use the word aware, not educated. Yeah, yeah okay? aware. And they still don't see this. And you know, one of the reasons I, I put the Lit Fest together was that we facilitate these kind of conversations and we discuss these things and also intersect it with what happens in general life in society because we consume from that society. You know? Like when we're talking about gender stereotypes that play out, where I know uh, in the case of gay men that someone who's bottom imagines that they have to do the domestic work because yeah. they, they believe that that's the role they have to play of a woman. Yeah. Okay. So I've, I've, I've had that, I mean, till recent, you know, like about a year, two years ago. So, so you know, uh, I think firstly, great we're having these conversations today. 
and you said it's guilty to do it during Pride Month. No, I agree. You've kept the mic with us. We're sharing it. And, and, and I think these kind of conversations, the point that Noor is raising, is really, really important. It is very disturbing uh, when we invisibilize anyone Correct. from our communities. And when I say community, we should technically say communities, and I slip up myself, because there's so many groups within ourselves, you know? And as she talked about the intersections, uh, we are doing a great disservice to ourselves as a community uh, by sort of pushing queer femme folks out of the picture, trans men, trans women out of the picture, or more so trans men. Uh, we don't discuss intersex sufficiently at all, uh, at all <laughs> almost yeah uh, we we don't uh, you know that there, there is a plus there is a you know there's the asexuals there's uh, the curious there's uh, there the lesbian women I mean we we spend so much time trying to search and find and and she's right just very recently I I mean with conversion therapy women go through rape what is called corrective rape yeah, and it still happens and it's still happening yeah rape happens by family members fathers family. and brothers so blood is not thicker thicker than water i just don't believe that i mean it's let's not even get into corrective rape it's too tra traumatizing I know. Yeah. conversation to even have because yeah. it's just but difficult conversation should never be shunned no, i do believe no we're not shunning that, it yeah. but the point is a the language we're speaking in so right. we're all speaking in english yeah which a certain class, a certain privileged world Noor, understands. Sorry, Noor, May 10th, Neeti Bag. Ha. But. Case. Yeah. Ha. What is that? This happened. Corrective rape just now, last month. In uh, Delhi? Neeti Delhi, Bagh. South Delhi, Neeti Bag. Oh, and, most and of the judges of the city, the so most illustrious I now come to a conclusion English, that some right? judges judge without knowing enough. That's why they judge. And. Fact remains at the end of the uh, while this may be this has happened in Itibag, it does happen in the cities. A large chunk of conversion therapy is also in the tier two and the tier three cities where there is not enough conversation or education. So, when the 377 judgment came out, striking down 377 uh, for consensual sex between two adults, one of the directives by the Supreme Court was go into schools, go into workplaces, make policies. Talk to people, educate people. But being queer is not abnormal. This is something the Supreme Court asked for. And zero happened. Yeah. Nothing has happened. Including in the press. Including because the press, the press just, just jumped to marriage. Like we all. That's the only discourse around it. Is yeah. marriage. Is, yeah. yeah. I'm sorry. The yeah. press is at three seven seven. Very then, limited. Then they report directly, and I'm a PR person, and I'm sorry, all my press friends, please don't hate me, but. They then report directly at the time of a pride or if a case happens. The everyday conversations are not happening. You know, the suicide cases we've seen oh Lord, should have been on front page more than just same-sex marriage. Every for second day, all of us who work and move in these circles get to know of an average of one to two suicide cases or attempts to suicide. We get messages in the middle of the night saying parents have thrown us out. We don't have a place. Can someone help us? Young queer people have been thrown out of their family, out of their family houses. They don't have food to eat. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm not even getting to the life of what trans people have. I am talking about cis queer people. I'm not trans people. I mean, 
Within the community, also sufficiently yeah. tourism, and that is one of the reasons why, when we were talking about corporate support and all, corporates feel comfortable extending that lip service because right now the conversation doesn't include, let's say, trans Suic people and no, and suicide and all. And no, no, exactly. I think even trans people, not there are corporations who are hiring trans folks. Yeah. They they are training and skilling them, uh, but but the point is, in the larger, see, at the end of the day, a democracy works with the fourth estate. Yeah. And when the fourth estate decides to exclude key parts of the the 377 uh, verdict of reading down, or of Nalsa, for instance, and not making state or central government accountable, or Puttuswami, you talked about mm. a privacy in a public space, right? You're not being that. That Puttuswami on the privacy day, it's very clear about uh, privacy that it is what you wear. Who you are, who you love, in a public space needs to be respected. So effectively, is also talking about consent. Is also talking about queerness. Talking about being a single woman, maybe in the context of uh, our system and our society. So it, uh, we don't discuss. We should be picking up strong reference points to make people aware. You know, and not just jumping on bandwagons. You know, it's it's a huge privilege, and I'm not saying same-sex marriage. Or marriage equality should be denied to someone. I'm not saying it's a choice, you know, but we need to understand that to get married, you need to be safe. Yeah. You need to live fearlessly. You know, uh, you need to have education. You need to can't be bully, bullied every day and traumatized every day. That you, the moment you step out of your home, you need to be safe in your home. You need healthcare and access to it without discrimination. You need you need safety and a job. You need all of those things for a marriage to happen. But why are we just jumping? It's as long. It's it sounds like I'm sorry, but it sounds like journalists don't care about their children. They don't care about their future, but they keep saying so. But that's bullshit. Yeah. Sorry, it's bull. You are not focusing on core issues, you know, and 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 that's because you just go for these easy sort of. The headlines, you know, just yeah, sort of. No, no, headlines also created in the notion in the minds. Yeah. yeah. This is an interesting thing to see here, right? To see how fashion dress talks about fairness. Yeah. They talk about the fact, the way you dress, mm. or what you wear, what body you shaving, huh? Well, there's body shaving. Well, now it's changing. There is body shaving, but it's also about the fact that what you wear is a reflection of who you are. Yeah. And that's why fairness is completely acceptable. That's where queerness is completely acceptable and embraced. Yeah. Point is, it's embraced there. What about everything else? To be able to wear what I want to, also I need to be safe. I need to earn enough that I have food in my uh, stomach and have a roof on my head. It's very easy to say, go out and express yourself. But mm. if what I'm wearing and I go out and express myself, it's going to get me thrashed or raped because of my queerness. I'm sorry, I'll wear whatever is expected of me. Whatever safe to wear outside. Whatever safe to wear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and I think it was uh, during these various cases on women and women rape, and I think it was Kavita Krishnan who also wrote in her book that uh, safety is not freedom. And you have to be perpetually safe and cautious Correct. about everything around you 
then you're not yeah. free. Yeah. And yeah, I, I can understand safety in another context. Right? I'm not going to put my finger into the plug point. I'm not going to jump into the fire. And all those kind of things of playing safe and being safe, etc. Uh, but safety in the general sense that every step you take, every step you take, oh gosh, this sounds like <laughs> the police uh, and people watching you. Needed that reference. That sounds like all of society <laughs> watching you. And yeah, you know, I mean, like, in a country yeah. like India, we're, we're so populous, it's like the watchful eyes are everywhere. You walk out of this apartment downstairs, there are guards sitting outside, there are vendors over there. So you being under that watchful eye and to be a person that does not attract attention mm. um, can be quite burdensome. And I feel like in your, I feel like this, this thing about uh, being yourself. A lot of people have played a very important part in the public realm, but I think the individual personal journeys of yourselves to reclaim, not reclaim, but to own your identity, to be yourself, uh, can also be a very powerful thing. So I do want to hear from either of you about your personal stories, about how, what went through your mind before you uh, came out, um, you know, and or or who did you feel comfortable speaking it with? What like that is a, no, it's not something out of curiosity. I feel like this is this just gives people an idea about how scared you may feel is normal. Yeah. So I think number one, it's very important to re remember that a lot of this comes from the position of privilege that you are coming from. First thing I have a vocabulary to know what you're feeling. I discovered vocabulary when I got to college. I, avid reader, always had access to books. But there was no queerness in the everyday middle class Delhi world I grew up in. I didn't know what I felt. I've had boyfriends, so to speak, it's hilarious. A lot of the stuff I read have read. You laugh because the fact is, just lovely human beings on the diagonal. And for me, okay, that's normal. Maybe I'm not, I don't, but I, and the fact is, I don't remember half of my teenage life, but I remember some women very clearly, which now I realize why I remember them. Because I had these massive crushes on them. But I didn't have the vocabulary to express what I felt. And finally, when I got into college, there was a different kind of reading. The internet was more easily available. So you could look up things. Really wasn't easily available even with the dial up? Yeah. No, she's not the dial up. I have the Not better. college. But college is already getting that. Yeah. Um, what was it called? Say college first year was dial up. Dial up, yeah. First year college, we were not looking up uh, information on the internet. We were looking for tubes. Tubes were really, yeah, okay, <laughs> with that generation. Uh, and so you suddenly found language. And even then, I remember. I'm lesbian than lesbian can get. I found it easier to say I'm bisexual. Well, this sounds like Freddie Mercury. Mm. He couldn't come out as gay. And even Elton John for the longest time. Because it was easier. there was some level of social acceptance. To buy, yeah. To buy, right? But for me to first find the language to say that. But to when you first came out saying this to the people that you said it to, 
Were there any weird questions that they oh, ever oh, asked me? <laughs> Tell me some of the funny ones. So yeah, the funny every ones. Every second, dear old female friend you've known since childhood asking, are you sure you never had a crush on me? And I'm like, no, I've looked at you literally like a friend. I cannot even think of you as anything more. Um, I still remember the most hilarious conversation I had with my grandmother who I came out to. One of the first people actually ever came out to was my nanny. Uh, wow. Because, I mean, that's the one that's choice. She's actually the one person I'm petrified of and yet not scared of. And who I know loves me. Unconditionally. Unconditionally. I mean, there's no, I'm her person and she's my person. Um, and that's the time when I thought I was bi. And for years, years when I was growing up, um, she and I would regularly talk about that if someday I had kids, what we'd name them. So I was having a chat with her and I was trying to explain. So her first thing was, what is bisexual? I explained it to her. And she doesn't, she's now very old, she doesn't even remember this conversation. It's seared in my brain. And um, so I just looked at her and I said, you're worried about Karani and Toffee. Because we decided that if I ever had children, whether I'd adopt or have them alone, they'd be called Karani or Toffee. Nice name, bro. Yeah, Toffee, I was forced to name, and which I'm happy about <laughs> it. Because my grandfather was Toffee, and only I had met him. Um, he passed away before the rest of the grandchildren never really got to know him. Um, and she's like, yeah, I'm worried. So I was like, there's adoption. And she's like, that's something you've always wanted to do. I said, there's artificial insemination. Her words were, are you a cow? <laughs> <laughs> my grandmother would have said the same because she had cows. Yeah. And whenever she's getting too worried, like, oh my God, the milk is not coming. She's like, we must artificially inseminate them. So my grandmother, at that line remains with me. That are you a cow? That was a bit of worry. It was not that she understood. It was not an easy journey for her. Because she belongs to a world in a time when these were not even concepts yeah. ideas spoken about. And I feel like it's important to be uh, sort of respectful of that as well. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We tend to cancel people we, out. Yeah. She's the person who opened doors uh, to anybody else dating to come into their house. But still would only and still continues to only introduce them as a friend of mine. Um, now I can either choose to be angry about it. Or say, hey, this person is welcome in this home. She's making an effort. Yeah. We all have to understand that people from different generations take much longer different words. Yeah. My younger aunts understood my queerness much better. And many different ways than my mother did. Yeah. Because she's a different generation. Your mother and my mother are two years apart. Yeah. They are a different generation. It took her much, much longer yeah. to understand. And their, her fears were different. Her fear was, which took many years to get it out of her saying, what is your thing? And her problem was, you are a very open person. You live your life on your terms. Till the day we are alive, nobody can touch you. What if you don't find someone who is as True. open as you are? It worries me what's going to happen. Now, that's a parent's worry. Yeah. It has less to do with my queerness, but that's a parent, that's sometimes a straight person's parent's worry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, you have the rational worries and fears for your kids. My child will end up alone. Yeah. It, it stems from my child will end up alone. Also, I have produced a child that doesn't care a damn what the world says. Till I'm alive, between me and, and because of that, they will end up alone. But you know, this, it's, 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 it's interesting. Uh, this point. I mean, anyway, I came out uh, at a time where where I had to run to the office to use the internet. 
I didn't have, I couldn't <laughs> afford it at home. And, and then we had excites.com as the, so, you yeah. know, yeah. to search and all that. I should have been a porn site. Mm -hmm. huh? I, know. But, uh, I thought, yeah. I was just going to ask, what is that site? Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, we don't have Yahoo, Google, Google and Not whatever. Not like pre-Bing. No, no. Pre-Yahoo. Yeah, this is this is before Orkut and whatever. So, but anyway, but that, I won't even get into that. Let's take a moment. Orkut was a thing, okay, guys? Yeah. Orkut was a thing. Nine photographs. No, I never used Orkut, but anyway, huh? Yeah, it was like literally nine photos that you could put. Yeah, and you used to write testimonials for each other, which were all complete, I don't even know, yeah, rubbish. Anyway. No, I never used it, huh? but anyway, yeah. <laughs> no, but the, 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 the point, you know, of this universal thing is, it's, it's interesting. Uh, at, at, a, at some point when my mom, I mean, we had an open house, and that became sort of a safe space for a lot of queer folks to come, and we used to have these open parties. We used to have people, not called gate crashes, but someone had met someone at Nehru Park after cruising, and they said, hey, come to this party, and I'll be joining them. Like, I don't know who's entering the house. And so we didn't think of safety in that sense, like how you think of it today. But over the years, like I came out to actually journalists first, my boss. And uh, I was lucky, M.K. Venu and his wife, Chitra. And, uh, and, and, and I just felt safe. And, and there was no drama. They didn't ask me about anything. They actually, I didn't even come out in the way. I just said that, you know, I go to Nas Foundation on Saturday. I go for these Hamrahi meetings. Oh, you go there? Do you know Anjali? Was the first reaction. Have you met Salim? You tell Salim that, you know, you're, you're our friend. And this is Salim Kidwai, you know, who's no more. And so that was the kind of conversation. But coming to this point about the universal thing about being alone, there was a point where my mom, after seeing all the friends I had, and the relationships didn't work out for various reasons, uh, more to do with society than actually either my partner or, or my boyfriend or me. Uh, she felt that I'm safe and I have enough of people around me, you know, and I have enough interests to keep me uh, occupied, and so which what we'd call chosen family. And uh, but there is a point now, as she, as she says, her age is she's 82 plus. And after attending uh, a gay marriage and uh, an engagement of very close friends where she was a special lady out there, she started imagining that for me. You know? And so, yeah, it does come to that, 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 that thing is there. But I think <coughs> sometimes also parents can realize that you don't necessarily need someone, you know, and you have sort of an open home, you have uh, a mixed set of people. And, uh, which and that's the evolution for my family. Yeah. I understand that I don't need to be in a And that's actually the evolution for society. Yeah. My home is an open space. It's a safe space for women, for queer people. I have a wonderfully big chosen family that I have, I'm very grateful for every day. Oh, yeah. Very, very grateful for it. I don't think I'm I would grateful be. for the fact that whatever happens, there are going to be people who care about me who I am. And I'm grateful, and I'm grateful for... And they care about my family. Yeah. You know, you know, when we talk about pride and things like that, and I, and I mentioned Salim, I'll mention Ruth, because same-sex love in India as a book was part of the evidence, in, you know, on the 377 case. But I think a lot of us have to be 
I'm, I'm very lucky that I have a great friend in Anjali Gopalan. She's not a friend, I don't know what to call her. I'd do anything for her and I, I feel that while my mom has been just incredible, you know, irrespective of pre-377, post-377 and my brothers and you know, extended family and friends, uh, we need to remember people who took that step. The first those first steps. I mean, there was Siddharth Gautam earlier and that petition was thrown out in the 90s. But I think we have to acknowledge and remember uh, people who've gone and stood up and fought battles that we weren't able to or we were too scared to do so, even if we had access, privilege, etc., whatever else. Uh, there are many activists still work, working, uh, the lawyers in the courts, um, and, uh, and you know, again, to people who are querying conversations today, uh, writers, there are some very good script writers, there are beautiful f short films being made, uh, there are people like Neeraj Churi, Lotus Visual Productions, who are perpetually funding queer content that goes out in video, knowing full well how powerful video is. Uh, you know, in the petitions and same uh, on the marriage equality petitions, we were talking about Chosen Family, Rituparna and a whole go group of folks, Chayan, uh, 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 Chayaneka, and all who put in this petition which recognizes chosen family. As Can you tell a little bit more about this? Um, um, yeah. Both. Like, so talk about the chosen family and then lead into so the. Chosen family. So, a lot of queer people, a majority of queer people, very often have an experience where your family gets rid of you, you won't have any. And then, as you move along, you make. And chosen families are actually even for straight people. Yeah. Right, your closest friend, yeah, who you consider family, is a chosen family. Absolutely. It's the few choices you can make because when you're born, you're born into caste, class, religion, everything. And your friend, now, <laughs> when I yeah. am a cishet life, while I may have a chosen family, um, I have, from whether I have the right to marry, to leave, to leave my partner or my spouse or my sibling, has the right to what I've earned, you know, and who can take medical decisions? It has to be someone who's blood relative, either blood or spousal relative. A lot of queer people don't have that. They have their chosen family. So what that fight is about is saying, recognize this chosen family of mine. As simple as that. When I worked all my life, when I go, it is my choice whether whatever is mine, I would want to leave to a sibling, a cousin, or I want to leave it to my two closest friends and their children. Because they have been there for me more. The fact is, even if I make a will and leave it to them, my blood relatives can fight it and yeah. to court and they will get access to it. Khun ka badla khun. It's true. Imagine the rising water levels. Yeah. I don't know why we think blood is thicker than water. My, my, my birth family may have abandoned me, but they still have that right or to take a decision in a medical emergency. If I'm estranged with my family, and I need medical treatment. My chosen family should be the ones making that decision for me because they know whether I want to be put on a ventilator or otherwise. Right? It comes up many times. Mm. It is them who know what I want. Yeah. Not my brother necessarily. I mean, and I have a good relationship with my family just for the rest I don't want them panicking. Mm. But the fact remains, I would still give a medical power of attorney 
a medical pilot journey to two of my closest friends because I have had those conversations, yeah. Conversations with them. No, but Noor, you're, you're right, you know, because, I mean, in my case, it's slightly different. I mean, I'm in my, almost my mid-fifties. Um, all my relatives who are the closest to me, like, are my mom's generation. Uh, and, and I, I, I'm just actually, as of just yesterday, day before, I was exchanging messages with Nitin Mantri, who you know, uh, whether he'll be the person, in, you know, who can exit, execute my living will. That tomorrow, I, I mean, I have a boyfriend. This is a lawyer. No, no, Nitin Mantri is in the same. He's a say, Yeah, but he's my childhood buddy. He's the greatest friend, I think anyone could have. He and his wife Rachna, and uh, obviously Venu and Chitra and all. But as my lawyer says, look for someone younger, you know. And I'll be without. I mean, I'll be without a family, and we we don't discuss this even in the case of heterosexual folks. I, I don't, and my brothers, my eldest brothers in the U.S. He's not going to fly down to to take a decision for me here in a in a in a hospital. So I have to create a living will. We don't discuss living wills sufficiently. It's new, you know. Yeah. And then again, it's a conversation of privileged people like me who know about it and have access to a lawyer and can perhaps pay the lawyer to do that. And you know, there are these these sort of realities where. Uh, uh, you, you turn to people who are equal to what a family should be. And I think Nivedita Menon, in seeing like a feminist, explains what family is. And so she was very clear that you cannot limit the idea of family to blood relatives. Absolutely. And I think you're right. This applies even to... Yeah. But yeah. we don't discuss it. We don't know? discuss it. And Out of my close group, 80% are straight people, they're not queer. Because when we became friends, they didn't care if I was queer and I didn't care if they were straight. There were 20 other things that you were interested in. Yeah. As from, and Common. one couple out of them, I still remember in 2020, and they're really one of my dearest friends. After the first lockdown opened, they came over one evening and we were just so happy to see each other. We hadn't seen each other. And they both just looked at me and said, fine, it's a house here in the same colony you live in. Because you know what? If something happens to you, or something happens to your mom and all, you'll be all alone. They chose to uproot their life, where they lived, to be right in front. And we were lucky, we found an apartment, not only within a few days, we found an apartment bank opposite my house. Wow. It's just luck. But that thought, yeah. they were making that decision because they wanted me not to be alone. Now, isn't that more than any sibling will do? I mean, let's be real. A sibling may not but, do it. But I think, Noor, you've touched on a very important point. I think in this world, we've, uh, one issue, the upside of identity politics and of, you know, is sense of belonging. It's also to state and get people to understand that you're different in so many ways, okay? And when it comes to your sexuality. But the downside is when you look at everyone's identity only from their sexuality. And it's when you look at everyone in the case of, let's say, religious minorities, uh, in the context of, let's say, depending on which part of the world you are, whether you wear the cross or whether you have a, you know, Mangal Sutra or you have, uh, what is it? Yeah, uh, and, the, you know, and the topi and all that stuff. When you limit everyone to that, you've already removed humanity because 
they have values, they have tastes, they have interests, they have so many other things, they have views, etc. We've forgotten that. And today, what, what the point you just made, those friends are, are friends because it wasn't limited to your sexuality. It was irrelevant. It was about values and so many other things. You matter to us. We worry for you. Yeah. We need to be close. And when I travel, I have an old mother and grandmother at home. I can travel without anybody because I know they're there. I know if something happens, both of them will leave whatever they're doing. And we live in the same complex. I mean, we, I think we met Gateway yesterday after a month. Because we all have our lives, we're all working professionals. We don't have the time to meet each other. But knowing you're a call away, right? That is my chosen family. I would want them to make a medical decision for me. Then say, I mean, I'm being unfair to my brother, but then my brother, who may not know that I don't want to be on a ventilator if something happens to me. And what was the Exactly what I told my boyfriend mm -hmm. three days ago. That I said, no, it's true, and I. Decision I no, and there's also this. Who's Nitin? Nitin, Nitin is another friend. Nitin's my childhood buddy. Ah, okay, yeah. For queer people, making these friendships are literally what let them thrive. It's what makes us thrive, makes us feel alive, makes us be able to take on the world. That you have someone who loves you just for who you are, the human being, the person, irrespective of who you love, who you think you are, they love you for your being. And I think that is probably the most beautiful uh, part of queerness. Because we see that a lot. You see queer couples who have separated but continue to remain best of friends for years, uh, are each other's family, because you share a bond of a chosen family. This is exactly like in that petition, uh, what Ritu Panna's like, public statement, she says that uh, as much as she's been four years with Amrita, yeah. and uh, but she says, wow. and it's a cute couple, and uh, in a, she's, she said it very clearly, that my chosen family uh, has certain sort of rights. They've been with me for such a long time. Why can't I decide and involve them in so many other decisions, but instead of only bringing it down to Amrita? It didn't, had nothing to do with how much she loves Amrita or how little. She, it's no question of little. Uh, but it was just about the fact. That's her family who's been with her. And, and you know, so you sort of broaden the scope. I think Why what I think what queerness does is can bring love to society and take it out of queerness. Take queerness out of the whole aspect of only sexuality. It's about breaking down these constructs that have been calcified o over the over decades and centuries or whatever. It is about uh, I think like Anish recently uh, said it, 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 when you're when you're looking at the whole aspect of queerness. You're, you're opening the world to love. So we're talking intercaste, interreligion, you know, we're talking disabilities, we're talking about so many things that can be... So I, I think those who fear this, 
and have these phobias is fear losing power yeah. and control. That's it. And they don't want to admit to that. And perhaps because they can't imagine a world different from the ones they've, they've sort of followed. Let's also not forget Raja Yeah. At the end of the day, hmm. the idea of family, blood, are also concepts that are very deeply rooted in patriarchy. The minute you... And banking and insurance. And which are governed by men. <laughs> administrative processes. Yeah. Which is which with men mostly. Form to be print. Aapko mehtaap karo. Spouse nahi hai. Spouse nahi hai. Wahi hai na. Because to aapka inheritance law bhi wahi se aata hai. Decision laws bhi wahi se aate hai. Now the minute you allow someone's chosen family to be making those decisions. Kaise? Kaise? Because aapko saare jo existing setups hai unko toda hai. Exactly. Like in India, women still are, don't have a claim of agricultural land. I mean, we're in 2023 and we and you have laws in India that protect the inheritance of the male heir yeah. over a woman's inheritance, even, you know, uh, in the same family. Nepal is better than that. My closest friend in the world, he is my ex-partner from years ago. I think we dated, actually this year, we dated lesser than we've known each other's friends. Oh. One of my closest friends, my 1am call, I'm her 1am call. But I know that if God forbid something happens, she will walk in there and make the decision that's right for me. Yeah. But that's not my partner. But she's my family and I'm her family. We're each other's family. We're in that essence of what we call family. And that's what matters. Yeah. You know, I think you brought up an interesting point about the right to love, you know, and how this particular yeah. um, sense of identity normalization is bringing on another paradigm of love to the picture, right? Now, I want to talk about morality a little bit. I want to go yeah. back a little bit in history, right? And how, uh, in my observation, and I come from the field of archaeology and history, we studied history honors in LSR together. And having um, sort of done a cross-cultural, just an observation, especially in Asia, I came to understand that morality was brought in a lot much later. Yes, there were certain standards of public appearances, private appearances, but in terms of how, for example, in India, uh, clothing, when did the blouse come in? That's a question. Brit. And there is a time time to yeah, it, right? Yeah, yeah. In Japan. To enter the clubs and in, in Japan. In, in the, yeah. Okinawa, the sort of slightly Hawaiian islands below Japan, um, they're, uh, they're the best pearls that come out of there. So the women used to go fishing for pearls, but they never wore a top. They just wore the bottom fins. But they had to as soon as the American base was set up over there, right? So morality came and put in a layer of what was the new normal. And this new normal is not too back, way back in history. It's, it's not. Yeah, it's Victorian morality. It's not only just British, no, it is also... Just Victorian. There are, see, there are changes as each time we were conquered by somebody, they brought in a certain set of their ideas of what it was. I mean, as controversial as it may sound, but the minute our older traditions started getting written down, that's the minute morality came in. Yeah, because you suddenly started codifying 
what words you start prescribing. That's the thing about Indian uh, writing, right? It's not historic writing, it's prescriptive writing. Yeah. And yes, yeah, so my question regarding this thing of morality, it feels like human society progressed a certain way and embraced a certain amount of freedom and intellectual, um, uh, a, a certain amount of intellectual presence. And then it re rejigged its system again. And then a new code came into the picture. And now that that code has imposed a lot of like sort of um, systems upon people that do not um, sort of account for the various kinds of people that are there. Like for example, in a zanana, uh, uh, trans people played a very important role. And then suddenly, they yeah. are invisible to society as soon, uh, much after the Mughal rule. You have to study history. You know how how high up trans people were within ministries, within armies. They sound the most formidable but my, uh, Guys, I have one sort of this thing whenever, I, and, and I agree, and I've read that as well, that not just trans people, in fact, that if, if you go into the villages of India and you look at gay couples, right, who would, when you ask them if they identify as gay, they'd mm. say no. Because actually, like, these these terms are also like a, you because know, a, a construct. Correct. The fact was that you Terms for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah. People were accepted for who they were. And fluid. And they were, they were fluid. fluid. That's the fluidity of life. Also, this need to term people's sexuality, put them in a box, are not constructs that were here. They are foreign constructs that were bought in. But my question is are we sort of maybe romanticizing what was here? Because I don't know what was no, here. I mean, and there is a danger yeah, of. Yeah, no, see, there is. There, see, you know. Yeah, same-sex love in India, yeah. but but the thing is, uh, you're right. I mean, we can't romanticize, uh, but we have to acknowledge that there was a presence in public history. life. Yeah, and there was a history. What that history was is, is is as much as the debate on whether we should have as much Mughal history in in our textbooks or not. Yeah, because uh, the argument from some historians are. Uh, is that there isn't enough documentation beyond a certain period in time, which is why it may appear disproportionate. But let's also keep in mind that in this region, and I don't talk about us being conquered because I don't know what us was. Yeah. Right? Uh, in the subcontinent uh, region, we've had, according to historians who've been relatively sort of balanced, perhaps, or neutral, or even if you talk about cultural historians like Alka Pandey, she talks uh, about the Mughal period in this region as a very free period, uh, a, a, a time where pleasure mattered, choice mattered, lust mattered, love mattered. It, and, and perhaps that explains why also you have some great poets and, 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 and great literature and writing from that period. Yeah. But we also, when we go prior to that, we don't seem to have much out there other than perhaps references uh, to certain temples uh, or references in mythology. So, you know, that's, that's not there. So we don't know how dignified that life was, you know. And we can't establish that uh, fully, but at least establish the fact that we existed yeah. and we were very much part of a world and that sexuality is nothing new. And it is not a Western import. It's not like Coca-Cola yeah. or uh, a burger. Yeah, and yeah. we already had Campa Cola. Yeah. Yeah. 
फॉर्मूला दिल से वो कम फ्रॉम द वेस्ट एंड हम हमारा संस्कार संस्कार को खत्म कर लिया इसलिए कैंपा कॉलेज में मर गया तो दे माइट इवन से दैट बट दैट दोस आर्ग्यूमेंट्स आर रिडिकुलस एंड एंड सिली एंड दे हैव नो कॉन्टेक्स्ट ऑफ ट्रूथ इफ इट्स अ माइंडसेट देन वी नीड टू आल्सो अंडरस्टैंड दैट लाइक रूथ एंड सलीम वुड से होमोफोबिया इज एन इंपॉर्टेंट होमोसेक्सुअलिटी हैज एन नॉरस क्वेरनेस Okay, and when you were talking about Asia, I think let's understand that there were certain countries which were not exposed to the West the same way, like Thai Thailand, for example, and you have a lot of androgynous sort of representation. But with globalization, that's changing. changing. Yeah. So the other view is that colonization was one thing; globalization is another form. Correct. Where they tell you what your breakfast should be. Yeah. Yeah. What is the good? I mean, I did it in Thai. Was paid by the judges, and the three seven seven law was being struck down. Was that it's a Judeo-Christian law yeah. that was brought in? We adopted the IPC out of the British laws that exist. And that's there in certain other countries. It's there in most of the colonies where they left, which became Commonwealth nations, took on the law. Because actually, it's a in its essence, and this is a historical problem. It's a Judeo-Christian law. Yeah. And that makes a very big difference, right? It, that law, that's and it's very specific to. Because Christianity suddenly hmm. is a sin. Exactly, it's it's worded exactly like that. That's what. Yeah. Against the law of nature. Yeah. And again, in, in English language, there's no and opposite to sin. Acts, yeah. yeah. There's no opposite to sin. True. <laughs> so it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. You have enough depictions in mythology, in Indian mythology, actually, if you read of Trans people of same-sex love, gender fluidity, including gods, including gods. Yeah, I mean, I would just want, don't want to even get into those stories because then you know they may just kill you and me, and I don't want to say that. And <laughs> I want to say it on TV. I did. You can say it. I resist myself with it. I mean, I do like living. No, I just said if Shikhandi be Vesya hai. अगर कृष्णा भी वैसे है और अगर विष्णु से भी वैसे है तो फिर हमारा माइथोलॉजी क्यों क्यों आप वेस्टर्न बना रहे हो कहाँ से आए हाँ ये आप क्यों कर रहे हो ऐसे नहीं हमारी Several sexualities or sexual orientations. We also didn't have left and right for God's yeah. sake. Yeah. I mean, and one of the most interesting what aspects. What you could do with left and right hand was like private pro private property didn't exist in India. You had multiple claimants on one piece of land, and when the Brits came, they couldn't understand that. How can like thirty people own that same land? One has tilling rights. Children used to be rights. brought up by communities also. Yeah. I have friends uh, from uh, some of the northeastern states where they've been brought up in in a full community. And in fact, the parents uh, don't seem to be as important to them as, as someone else or yeah. the, the community. True, and you know, so that still exists. Wow. And what? And what that's how children should be raised, raised. actually, because and it what? does take a village. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> no, and, uh, no, and also Ritu Parna was saying, for instance, these notions that are decided out of, let's say, a Delhi or a Bombay or wherever on marriage, for instance, she says. And then she comes from. She's an indigenous uh, uh, queer, you know, late feminist uh, lady. She is very clear that marriage actually is not that important in, in the, from where they come from, and she's had battles uh, uh, within the family, etc. And it's that same village which knows very little about queerness and the queer relationship who came out and protected her. Yeah. Now just imagine, would that happen in South Delhi that easily? 
I'm not sure. Only your chosen family will come to your, <laughs> to your rescue. Yeah. We tend to look at a lot of this from the urban metro. Mm. Yes. Do not know what's happening in the very colonized totally. In the inside, um, there is a positive to it, there is a negative to it. Um, I think it's important that conversation has to continue. Yeah. And the good thing for the times that we live in, while we may not have uh, an eye into other places, but whatever is out there in the internet universe, that is for everyone to see, right? So the conversations can keep going on. But I wanted to ask you one thing. Now, India has come a long way where the laws are concerned. I, I mean, I, I was surprised, to be honest, when the decriminalization happened. I was surprised that that happened in India. Uh, I And yeah, please check me if I'm thinking about this the wrong way. But you know, given the conservative nature of, um, you know, this large population that we have, the, everyone has so many differing opinions. When it did happen, I felt really good about India at that particular point in time. I was like, yes, now this is like just the opening of the Pandora's box. Now everything will and should be talked about, right? But that's my opinion. And I am tone deaf. I don't know enough. Uh, about these matters, no matter how much I try and find out, I feel like I do not know enough. So how do you see what is happening in India for people for the right to love, like in general? And I think I want you guys to give a slightly uh, theoretical, even open-ended answer because we're running out of time. So this will also yeah. be your concluding, uh, concluding message. <laughs> do you want to start? See, I think, I mean, let's, let's understand that India is too diverse to, to sort of suggest that everything is changing collectively everywhere. And I think we need to understand that at the end of the day, it's people who are fighting who are bringing that change. And we have to also understand that we don't have a legislative system that is supportive of love. Otherwise, we would have had the parliament, we would have different legislatures across states uh, responding before courts responding to people rather than responding to court orders and i think we need to acknowledge the fact that as much as sometimes we're really upset with some of the verdicts from courts it's courts that have saved us and uh, and we you talk 377 milestone movement because at least we were legitimized to a certain extent yeah yeah I'll, you know our love and uh, was legitimized. Yeah, I think that's, and also a sense of identity and self, etc., to a certain extent. But through that, and in Alsa earlier in 2014, in the case of trans rights, um, we've had the Chennai High Court come forth and ban conversion therapy. Also, yeah, and also we had judges setting examples of going for to mental health experts who were queer affirmative. You've had the Chennai High Court again, I think in the case of a trans uh, individual marrying a, a cishet person. So marriage had actually happened before these petitions. You've had courts across the country uh, uh, supporting live-in relationships of queer individuals, uh, going against family, if I have to use that language. Uh, so I am optimistic about these changes. But where I'm disturbed is how inclusive are these conversations. 
uh, how inclusive is the representation in the press, in cinema and all of that and who is holding the mic while speaking about these things you know and whether we are listening sufficiently to people across this nation who have different sort of choices and ideas of what queer is and uh, also whether parents are starting to learn to listen to their children and not becoming dictatorial and continuing to be dictatorial people who refuse to listen and to understand the fact that a child might have or might have realized their sexuality long before you understand any of it and and it is scientifically also proven for inst instance gender dysphoria or a, a, a person who identifies as trans or can call themselves they or uh, you know as a pronoun uh, recognizes and knows their sexuality much earlier before before a gay and a lesbian person and you know I'm just that whole aspect of whether we are listening enough uh, and parents in particular, because I think parents can bring change, because a lot of the yeah. change can come from families. For sure. So I think, I mean, all I'm going to say is that these have been battles that have been going on for years. You, the reason one has won at every step, there was a 2009 judgment yeah. by the High Court, and I still remember my oh, That's friend, a written one. Uh, the, and someone I was dating then called me while I was at work, and I said, I'm going to smoke, just, just keep saying, we're going to we're going and I'm like, what are you know, I was, and then she told me all about the case and the fact that the High Court had struck down 377. And then there was the rage we found in 2013, uh, when it was reinstated by the Supreme Court. Yeah. And then, and within two days, there was an Alsar judgment. You know, they, within two days, and where they said that there has no repercussions on 377. So we've dealt with that rage, and then we've dealt with the joy when you won again through the curative petition. It's been a very long wait. I mean, the curative petition result came out in 2018. Four, five years. Yeah. We all waited. Saying, when is it going to be heard? When is it going to be heard? It was, the, the battle never stops. It's not that you've won one step and that's enough. Hmm. You have to keep fighting in the way to fight because all these changes also happened was because you kept on talking about it. Talking to your health, talking to people at work, talking to your parents, talking to your friends. Conversation has to go on. Because when that conversation goes on, does it go to more people? And that's the beauty of a democracy. My queerness is known to my the lady who takes care of my house. My queerness is known to my driver. I haven't hidden it from them. And they don't care. All they care about is you are our person. We love you for who you are. We are standing guard so nobody can mess with you. Because for them, I am their person. Mm -hmm. And I've told them because I don't want anybody else coming and telling them something. I've told them because I don't want her to feel uncomfortable if she's alone in the house with me. As simple as that. The fact is that I'm having that conversation with her, which means she's having that conversation with four other people. Eventually, she's talking about it. Recently, somebody in the complex tried to subtly ask her, since my baby is shadi, why do you do
जनरली we do sort of focus on you know the 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 more like for instance the same sex marriage aspect of it or whatever and we're not really having enough conversations about like acceptance and tolerance and love and things that actually everyone can relate to um a lot easier yeah for lack of a better word we're victims of the larger headlines the smaller the stories headlines, yeah. man. the, the headlines man the headlines smaller just, stories yeah. the stories on page 2 and page 6 Yeah. Yeah. And the stories that don't even make it. Yeah, and the stories that so don't make it. So the media has become size queens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Bigger okay. stories, smaller Big stories. Bigger stories, smaller stories. Okay, thank you all for tuning in. Um, we'll catch you next time.